The Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer. Near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. On round one, Sabrina Nanji is here from Queen's Park Observer. Journalist, co-founder of the online magazine The Line, Matt Gurney. And John Burnside, Toronto City Councillor and Baker, I might add. You brought us a banana loaf last week that was delicious. Oh, thank you. I was actually going to post a picture of it on uh, on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you this morning about that. I guess I'm not the best politician because I, uh, I like to post pictures of baking. But um, No, knock yourself out. Yeah, my mom's recipe, and uh, I like to do some things, uh, some of her recipes I remember as a kid. Yeah. I updated it. I added chocolate chips, of course. Okay. Well, and you know media people in free food, so... Oh, I, I think I'm going to be invited back next week. Three former Toronto mayors have sent a letter to the current mayor and city council coming out against changing Dundas. I don't know how much we want to litigate the history of Dundas, but Matt Gurney, it's interesting. It's not just about the money for these three former mayors. Uh, John Sewell was on with us, and he actually went to bat for the Mr. Dundas and said he was a pretty good guy. Yeah, no, I thought that was interesting, right? Because my attitude all along has always been, you're never going to relitigate the history of this in a way that is satisfying to everyone. We just don't live in that kind of era right now. We're not going to come to some compromise position on this. I've always taken a more simple uh, view, which is basically find any reasonably worthy Canadian named Dundas and just rechristen the street in that person's honor. Yeah. And have a little ceremony um, and and, you know, put a plaque somewhere that goes, actually, now it's named for this Dundas and save millions of dollars in signage changes and all of the political nonsense we've had. If the former mayors want to go out to bat for the original Dundas, yeah, okay. Like, you know, I've read some of the articles. I, I think that the case against Dundas has perhaps been exaggerated by his critics, but I'm just always mission oriented here. I just want to find solutions here. Can we not in our entire history find some Dundas? Dundas, all we, we can all agree was a nice guy or, or or girl, and just rename the street after them. Okay, well, we could name it after the current uh, Lord Melville. He seems like a swell fella, and he plays uh, polo. Um, Sabrina Nanji, you speak to us, or at least you work in a building that has a boarded-up statue of Sir John A. Macdonald, so this is all too common. Yeah, I mean, that statue has been boarded up for, I mean, years now, um, and that review is still pending. But I- I'm with you guys, you know, I don't think this is about necessarily relitigating history here. I think that, you know, having these heavyweight former mayors come out swinging against this is probably the biggest, um, you know, move against this change that, that we've had so far. But I don't really think this is the priority our city needs to be funding right now, especially when we're staring down a one5 billion dollar budget hole like is this really where we want to be putting our money when we have refugees sleeping on the streets when we're you know floating the possibility of new taxes tolls you know things that uh to to fund the things that we actually need that people are actually dealing with on the ground and and, you know we're, we're petitioning other levels of government for different revenue tools more cash i mean i'm not wholly against changing names or taking down statues that type of thing um i like matt's idea of finding someone else i like the 
idea of having, you know, some context put towards our problematic historical figures. But I just don't really think this, this, this should be a priority right now. Okay. And John Burnside, you sit on city council as a city councilor. Uh, when John Sewell, the former mayor, said this morning, there are other things we could spend this money on, I thought, or we could not spend it at all because we don't have any money. Well, yeah. And I mean, the problem is I, I actually don't have a problem uh, litigating the actual narrative. City Hall, especially in Toronto, uh, makes decisions what I think are based on false narratives. So I think the narrative is important. Uh, my understanding is that Dundas delayed uh, the abolition, I, I believe it was for four years. John Sewell, uh, David Crombie, and I believe it was Art Eggleton, Art Eggleton yeah. are all in a unique position because they've been in government and they realize the way government works, especially, well, City Hall, but government works is that you, change comes incrementally. If you're going to lose, you have to, and you know, you can talk about bike lanes, you can talk about whatever you like. There are a lot of politicians that want to go one way, others want to go the other way, and we usually come up with a solution somewhere in the middle that moves the needle to where we want to get to. Um, and the problem is, um, based on the narrative, what I think is a somewhat faulty narrative, or a questionable one anyway, that we fuel the perception in Toronto that we throw money at things that have of, of questionable uh, cause and that we just waste money. And now, how do you go to government? Nine million, you can say, is inconsequential, but you've, you're set. You're reinforcing that narrative that we waste money. How do you go to other levels of government asking for more? Okay, I'm with you. Absolutely. I don't even need to litigate the history of it all. Let's just leave it alone and keep moving and pave the roads. Uh, let me stick with you for a second again as a city councillor. Um, do you think there's going to be any movement at Queen's Park in terms of a sales tax for Toronto? I mean, all I got to go on, I don't have any special sources, but is my gut that tells me that Doug Ford wants done with this begging. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Doug Ford is he's, he's somewhat unpredictable. Um, so I wouldn't want to make that prediction. I hope that they don't give us that power because what I think Toronto has done over the years is we've filled the breach, taken on responsibilities that aren't ours. Right. And I'll just give you one quick example. For instance, long-term care. We're legally obligated to run one. I think we run nine or ten. We need to get out of the business of things that we shouldn't be in the business of. If they give us the power to... Uh, increased sales tax, but let's say it's by 1%. Now Torontonians are taking on responsibility, whether it's for long-term care or immigration and and, and, uh, and shelters for things we shouldn't. And Toronto taxpayers are then be bearing the brunt of what should be the responsibility of Ontario Ontarians and Canadians. And so I hope he doesn't. I hope we figure out what we're responsible for. And then if we have to come back and ask for it, so be it. Sabrina and Angie, are you hearing any murmurs at uh, Queen's Park? Well, I did actually text the staffer close to the premier who said, um, quite bluntly, hard pass. But to the councillor's point, you know, the premier has been unpredictable. Uh, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But no, I don't think Ford is going to sign off on this. I mean, um, he has not been a fan of raising taxes by any means historically when he was at City Hall or even at Queen's Park. I think that he would wear this politically. And no matter which way you cut it, raising taxes is a hard sell to the electorate. So especially at a time when folks are already stretching their wallets. So I don't think he's going to go for this. But that said, I do think Toronto has some leverage here um, in a lot of ways. Olivia Chow has shown that she can get what she wants um, from the feds. I'm thinking of the, the funding for the uh, refugees and the shelter system. But, um, you know, certainly she does have some leverage with the province, too. I mean, I'm thinking about the fight uh, for the, the waterfront here. Um, certainly the city can make it a, a bigger headache for the foreign government that wants to move ahead with these uh, 
um, controversial plans for Thurman's water and, and spa at Ontario Place, but I, I don't think this is something the Premier is going to go for uh, at this point. Matt Gurney, people will argue, well, people just go shopping elsewhere. Well, I suppose if you live on the border, the fringes of Toronto, you might think about it, but if it's a dollar on a hundred dollars, for example, you're not going to spend five dollars in gas trying to save the dollar. No, and I wouldn't spend 30 seconds of my life either. I mean, I as as I get older and I become aware that there's less time left, the more the less <laughs> I am to waste any of like the idea that I'm going to force my way through Toronto traffic to go grocery shopping in, in Thornhill. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. But I, I think you know, we started by asking whether or not Doug Ford would approve this. And what I always say when, whenever this comes up, and it, it sounds like a little bit of a, a non sequitur at first, but we always have to remember that Kathleen Wynne wouldn't pass road tolls. And it was such a slam dunk argument, and it should have been relatively easy for a left-leaning progressive liberal to make that argument. But what happened was politics. The taxpayers don't want to reward the politicians who allow another politician to impose a tax on them. Do we think Doug Ford is going to be less susceptible to that logic than Kathleen Wynne was? Of course he's not going to do this. He would never hear the end of it. Montreal police apparently are looking to recruit people from the social sciences because they want police officers who are, I don't know, more in touch with their feelings or something, perhaps. Um, Matt Gurney, I'll start with you on this one. Um, it's a good idea, I think, to diversify a police force. I'm not sure necessarily that having a sociology degree is going to play in if you become a police officer. No, what happens when people become police officers, and I, I say this with respect for law enforcement, because it's it's not, well, maybe not respect, I say this with neutrality for law enforcement, because I, I think it's true of every profession. Whatever your background, you spend some time on the job, you become absorbed by the, the cultural biases and the expectations of whatever job you're doing. I 100% support the idea of having a... Um, having a, a diverse police force, whether or not that's religious diversity or ethnic diversity or even educational diversity. Like, who doesn't like the idea of bringing a whole lot of broad perspectives together? But law enforcement, uh, as much as or probably more than anything else, seems to be really, really good at establishing an internal culture that people adapt to here. I don't know how many sociology degrees we need to plug into it for that to change. I'm not an optimist. Okay, John Burnside, you were a cop. Yeah, and you know, um, well, what I will say is I think it's a little bit of window dressing here in Montreal. They've had problems for years. Uh, you know, the article will say, will tell you that only 10% of the, the force is reflective of our visible minorities when about 40% of Montreal is. I think that's really where they need to put their efforts. Look, um, there's this perception that, that police are all about locking people up and, 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 and uh, law enforcement is all about arresting people. Um, there's a great article in the paper a couple weekends ago, Chief Marrera out in Durham, he was, a, he was quoted and he was with a couple of counselors saying we need more mental health supports. So police are very well aware of what's working and what's not and what's needed and he wasn't asking for more officers, he was asking for more mental health support. So I don't think they need to add, you know, be looking for people in the social services sector, but they do need to be more reflective of the community they serve. One last topic and we can have a little bit of fun with this, but uh, Paul asked if Pierre Polyev is a golden retriever or uh, a Pitbull. Um, Sabrina and Angie, I guess if we're going to start assigning dog breeds, we could have a really good time. I offered that I thought Thomas Mulcair was a fox terrier. 
<laughs> I, can, I can see it. Um, I mean, this kind of made me think about what kind of dog uh, Premier Doug Ford would be because I've always got my Queen's Park hat on. And, and I came up with a bulldog, I think, because they have this deep need to be loved. They're fiercely loyal to their own people, but not necessarily others. They can be really stubborn. I mean, no matter how much they're nudged, they won't budge if they don't want to. I just think it's uncanny, really. Okay. And Matt Gurney, I was thinking Justin Trudeau, his detractors would suggest a chihuahua. I was actually thinking still on on the topic of Polyev. It's a dog that's really, really nice sometimes, but randomly bites you, and you never quite know what to make of it. <laughs> John Burnside, any thoughts? Uh, well, I'm thinking coiffed hair, so I'm thinking poodle. Poodle, okay. See, I thought we could keep that uh, as a metaphor for Jugmeet Singh, but... Okay. Uh, thank you all, John Birdside, Matt Gurney, Sabrina, and Angie. Did you bring me a word this week? I did. I was worried that you... Um, I'm going to describe myself. Uh, a crepe hanger. A crepe hanger. As it applies to the... In, in this case, as it applies to the uh, municipal budget. One who takes a pessimistic view of things. A killjoy. Okay. I was thinking uh, my favorite word this week is truculent, which is uh, eager or quick to argue or fight. So, uh, thank you all. Good to have you. And it's time for the news.